בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה. ברוכים הבאים, we're uh, back and uh, doing, uh, ברוך השם, our uh, שיעורים, our איגרת הגרא, the uh, letter that the Gaon מווילנה wrote to his family on, uh, before his journey uh, to ארץ ישראל. And of course, a letter that has been studied uh, countless times by uh, Chachmei Yisrael, analyzed, written about, quoted uh, e- immeasurable amount of times. Uh, and uh, Baruch Hashem, we, had the merit, we have the merit to, uh, to learn together. Um, tonight's you will be for a refuah uh, shlema for Rabbanit Levana Bat Sarah, Rav Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Rabbanit Sarah Bat Anat, Nikula, Shoshana Bat Nikula. דוריס בת ז'ורה, דוד בן נסריה, יתרו בן אברהם, טליה בת שרה, אורית בת אילנה, ואולסו פור ג'ושוע בן נוח, והצלחה רבה פור מרשה בת ג'ולי, איילה בת מרשה, סמיול בן מרשה, ספס בן מרשה, אלכסנדר בן מרשה, לואיס בן מרשה, שאול בן פרזנה, ראובן חיים בן פלה פארל, also for Zivug Agun, Yitro ben Avraham, Oshri ben Doris, Gabi ben Doris, Elad ben Doris, David ben Nesriya, and Netanel, Yosef ben Avraham, also for Atzlacha Rabah with Zivug, Mazal Tov. So uh, tonight we'll uh, continue the series as uh, Tarkinu Bakdusha with sources, with stories, uh, with uh, lots of interesting things, Baruch Hashem, from life uh, that you learn, because as uh, you can see from the, uh, from the title, this is an issue that we, uh, we know uh, quite a bit about in regards to wealth transfer, but it's not going to be just a typical uh, financial analysis uh, that perhaps we did for almost two decades on uh, Wall Street, but perhaps a little bit more from the experience side, from the part that uh, doesn't have that much to do with the stock market, uh, more to do with uh, what happens behind the scenes when uh, people are dealing with their financial matters. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's one of the uh, most uh, often talked about uh, subjects today, even though that's quite the opposite of how things used to be. Uh, people talk about money and about their money, about other people's money on a regular basis. Uh, but as it says, as usual, we always find uh, that the Torah itself talks about uh, the things that we wonder about each and every single week. This week's parasha, Parashat Shoftim, has one of the famous psukim in the Torah, Velo tikach shochad, ki ashochad ya'aver inei chachamim ve'yisalef divrei tzadikim. That uh, you shall not uh, pervert judgment, you shall not... Um, respect someone's presence and you shall not accept a bribe that's the part that i just read you shall not accept a bribe for the bribe will blind the eyes of the wise and make just words crooked so here we learn the torah teaches us that uh, no matter who you are uh, and uh, where you came from if you are not careful enough money can blind you Money can blind you in, in, in ways that uh, could lead to a person's complete destruction, not just in the uh, next world, but even uh, in, in this world itself. As Kohelet, uh, Shlomo HaMelech, says in uh, chapter 5, uh, verse number 12, 
that uh, there is a uh, type of wealth that is preserved for an owner for his own destruction. For his own destruction, Hashem Yishmol And that's why you'll see in the uh, Yalkut Yosef by uh, the, the Gaon Ador, uh, Rabbi Yitzchak Yosef, who is uh, Rishon uh, Lezion and uh, made an endless amount of commentaries in his, uh, in his Yalkut Yosef. You'll see in a section that talks about uh, wealth and brachot and the blessings that you make and so on that when somebody, you know, uh, just like the Gemara in Masechet Brachot says that a person is uh, supposed to uh, make a blessing on the good and on the bad and on the bad just like uh, just as much as he did on the good and this was actually Paskin in La'alacha uh, the Chafetz Chaim uh, discusses it, uh, you know, in... Uh, uh, in his uh, Sfarim, and uh, this is one of the things that is perhaps most difficult for people to uh, to bless Hashem both for the good and the bad. Uh, but nonetheless, the uh, Yakut Yosef says that uh, Chachamim did not decree for a person to make a blessing when he uh, uh, inherits a lot of money. When he inherits a lot of money, don't make a blessing. If a person loses a lot of money, he should make a blessing. If he inherits a lot of money, don't make a blessing. Why? Because it could be that the verse will come true on such a person that this money is was given to its owner for his own destruction. Hashem Yilachem. Now, of course, you know, the most common uh, prayer that uh, people ask for, uh, the most common uh, uh, prayer that people make, the most common blessing that uh, people ask for is for Parnassah, is to have more money. But uh, the question is, how much money is enough money? What are you going to do with all of that money? Why do you want so much money? Now, of course, uh, you know, people are going to tell you that they want a lot of money because they want to do a lot of good things. They want to feed the homeless. They want to feed the poor, uh, you know, uh, uh, give homes to the homeless and help society and so on and so forth. And as a person that was in the money business for almost 20 years, uh, dealing with hundreds of millions of dollars and many, many, many millionaires and a few billionaires, uh, I can tell you that uh, from experience, it's really not uh, a reality. Meaning that while most people think that the majority of the uh, uh, charity in the world that's done, majority of uh, the, uh, the money that's donated in the world to, to fund uh, all types of organizations, whether it's an organization like ours for Torah, for Kiruv, to help Am Yisrael uh, get closer to Hashem, to help poor people uh, eat in Eretz Yisrael, Avrechim, or it's uh, much, uh, you know, uh, larger organizations uh, that have literally billions of dollars. While most people think that that money uh, mainly comes from the rich, it's actually not so. The, uh, the vast majority of the money that's, uh, you know, given, uh, whether to our organizations or uh, in general, is actually from the average people, from the average people and, uh, and, and many times even from people that are themselves struggling. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not as much as people would think comes from the uh, rich. And in fact, this scam that came to be about maybe 15 years ago or so, where uh, a group of billionaires declared that when they die, uh, they're going to uh, donate all of their money. It's a, uh, we already knew at that time, and we know today, that uh, that's just simply a, uh, a great way to get some media attention, 
to pretend like you're a good person because in reality all of those people uh, what they're doing is simply doing a wealth transfer uh, where they're transferring it from the right pocket to the left pocket but the only difference is in the right pocket they'll have to pay an enormous amount of taxes once they die a uh, estate tax especially for for people that are wealthy is an enormous amount of taxes on a left pocket they don't have to pay uh, almost any taxes whatsoever why because they'll move it into some type of uh, entity uh, that uh, you know that does not have to pay taxes uh, but in reality you say wait okay so that's a charity that's a organization that's going to give a lot of things yeah but it's controlled by them and it's controlled by their kids and it's controlled by their people and so on and so forth and many times it's actually done during their life so they don't have to uh pay taxes for that money so it's 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 really one big scam now do they donate some money sure they donate some money uh but it's like uh for example your average person you know donates a uh, uh you know five or ten dollars or twenty dollars you're not going to say this person is, uh, you know, a gviri, such a, you know, a generous person. Okay, he donated 20 bucks. Thank you very much. He donated 100 even. Wow, congratulations. But that's it. Nothing else is, uh, is, that is deserved by that person. In essence, the same exact thing. Somebody that's worth 100, 200 billion dollars donates 20, 30 million dollars. It's not exactly such a big deal. Uh, and that's in essence what's really happening. But... Uh, Many people were fooled by it and still fooled by it to think that some of these billionaires are such great people that they worked and slaved their whole lives and ruined everything that was in their way uh, in order to uh, transfer their wealth to, uh, to help uh, humanity. It's not so. It's simply not so. Uh, now, um, and you see it, and you see it because many of them already started doing it. And, uh, you know, you see anyone that followed the money saw that uh, in reality, that was exactly what happened. But anyway the reality is still the the same that most people you ask them why are you working so hard and they'll tell you i want to make money okay but you don't necessarily need to work as hard as you work to 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 uh to make money you're perhaps working and uh more than you need oh i need i want to save up for retirement okay well fine you save it for retirement but uh uh let's say you already have enough money for retirement let's say you know you have you have why are you still working? Why are you still doing business? And it's not necessarily working doesn't always necessarily mean they go to a nine to five jobs. Sometimes working can mean that they're still doing business dealings. They're still buying companies. They're still trading. They're still investing. They're still uh, building. And working doesn't always mean uh, nine to five jobs. And uh, in fact, the vast majority of people's wealth is typically made after they retire from their nine to five job. Uh, this is not to say that you shouldn't work nine to five, uh, but nonetheless, it's a uh, it's just a known fact that most people make most of their wealth after they retire from their first career uh and uh the point being is is that you ask a person why are you working now why are you still doing business now why do you still work uh, wake up early and watch the markets and so on so well i want to leave something for the kids and that's the common thing most people have this notion that they need to leave something for the kids and this is not a uh, a, a thought in a gentile world this you'll find this in a jewish world too you'll find this all over the world uh in fact the wealthier the people the more they're concerned about the kids you know to leave money for the kids the question is is this really a jewish thought is this really uh, a jewish thought by definition is in essence based on the torah based on the mind of uh, of our torah 
Uh, and this is actually the section that the Gaomi Vilna is now discussing, where uh, the last time we uh, had a shiur, the Gaomi Vilna uh, told us that uh, we have to pay attention to all of these matters, whether it's the chinuch, uh, uh, the uh, uh, education and rearing of, of the children, the boys in a certain way, the girls in a certain way, the girls have to worry about uh, learning ethics, musar, learning uh, how to behave, how to be modest, all of the honor of a woman is inside, not uh, outside, not to be one of these unorthodox hookers that uh, decides to make a show in a chilul Hashem and in the name of uh, going against the Torah because she's sick of it. This, this, these people, we can't stop hearing about them. People keep asking me questions about this prostitute that decided to have a show on television. And I tell people, I don't understand. If some prostitute in the street had uh, decided that she's going to dance in the middle of the street and, and give everybody a show, is anyone going to pay attention? No, you'd put this person in some type of institution. So why are you uh, questioning your own life because of this person that's on TV just because it's behind a box? I don't really understand the mentality of people, but nonetheless... This is what's happening in the world. People think that just because somebody has money, therefore they have happiness, therefore they have success, therefore they made it. And the reality is further from the truth. Uh, further, further from the truth. It's a, uh, I'm sorry, but this is further from the truth. And the reality is quite different where you see that Chachamim teach us that the way for a woman to be happy is by her preserving herself, by, her, by, by keeping herself in a, in a in a certain fashion where she's preserved for her, for her husband she is a uh, you know connected to hashem she's uh, concerned with her children with her home she has much more worries than uh, how she's viewed by uh, the construction workers downstairs and uh, how many dogs whistle at her and the reality is very different very different than what people think it is and uh, the Gaumi vilna taught us how you have to educate your daughters to be preserved uh, reserved to be modest and the kids the, the 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 boys you have to educate them in the life of torah you have to educate them with to have a mind of a person that uh, thinks like the torah meaning that although you may not all have children that uh, will be the greatest sages of the generation, that doesn't necessarily mean they can't be extremely righteous. They can't be tzaddikim. They can't be people that have even Ruach HaKodesh. Why? Because if a person toils and toils in Torah, he gets rewarded for the effort. For the effort he gets rewarded, not for the, uh, for the success. Success is determined by Hashem. And when a person educates their children to have a mindset of a Torah, they start thinking of everything in the world, everything, practical, spiritual, everything that's out there based on how the Torah views everything. And that's the biggest gift. It's the biggest gift that a person can get. And this is in essence what the Gaumi Vilna is telling his wife. Make sure that the kids have the Torah, have the uh, uh, Alacha, have the Musa, have all of the tools to make them good people in the Jewish world, needless to say, in the world. Now, and make sure that you focus your attention on all of this. This is the key. This is the key. Now, what about the fact that it's expensive to be a Jew? It's expensive to be a Jew. It's not cheap to be a Jew. If you want to live a Jewish life, 
it's not cheap why reality is your food automatically is going to be more expensive than your neighbor that's a uh, gentile you want to uh, buy a piece of meat he wants to buy a piece of meat he's going to buy a piece of meat at any local supermarket and if you're here in america you can buy some non-kosher piece of meat for uh you know uh pretty much you can buy half the cow for a few dollars with the same amount of money you can barely buy a a little ear you know in in, in the kosher market why that's just the reality there's a lot more goes into the kosher food a lot more goes a lot more preparation a lot more uh caution and so on and so forth now you could argue you could debate is it right is it wrong it doesn't really make much of a difference to uh, to eat as a jew is more expensive than to eat as a non-jew furthermore the education if you want to if you're a non-jew you want to send your kid to school technically you could send him anywhere i wouldn't recommend sending him anywhere i would recommend uh, being a good parent and being very cautious about where you send them but if you're the typical american that sends your kid to a public school that school costs you nothing i mean of course the taxes and so on but in reality you'd pay those taxes even though if you don't have kids so you have these uh kids you send them to public school and education is in essence free now of course you're going to pay a much bigger price for sending your kid to such a school but that's not necessarily money it's different prices but if you're a jew you want to send your kid to yeshiva in in, in america you're gonna to have to pay 500 a thousand dollars a month and in some cases even more per child which means that if you have an average jewish family you have three four five six seven eight kids whatever amount of kids you have who blessed you with you're gonna to have to literally cough up five ten fifteen thousand dollars a month to educate your kids now obviously that's before discounts and, and and deals and so on but nonetheless you have to come up with a lot of money to educate your kids if you have a a, a, a decent sized family it is no question that you're gonna have to come up with, with 50 to a hundred thousand dollars a month or more just for your kids to go and read the chumash read the gemara and so on and so forth that's just the reality now of course there's different programs that different yeshivot have some are better some are worse some are more expensive some are cheaper some you'd prefer for them to be cheaper just because they're so good some of them it doesn't matter how much they cost you you wouldn't send your kids there even if it was free so of course just because it costs money doesn't mean it's good but nonetheless the Jewish education is by default more expensive to reality no no question about it furthermore holidays the uh non-jews they don't really have uh holidays if you will you have you know the 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 uh american uh, christians will have their uh, xmas they'll buy themselves they'll use the excuse to buy themselves uh a bunch of uh things that they don't need and uh, enrich the uh the uh, the society enjoy we as jews we could do it all year round but some jews do it all year round some jews don't do it at all some Jews uh, use it as an excuse around the same time and uh, buy for their kids in Hanukkah. The point being is, that's not our only holiday. Why? All year we have holidays. All year we have holidays. And actually, there's only one month in the year we don't have a holiday, which is Cheshvan, which is the reason why it's called Mar Cheshvan. The Chachamim added Mar Cheshvan, like it's bitter Cheshvan. Why? There's no holiday. Every month we have a holiday every month we have a holiday we have a cause for celebration we have a cause to connect to HaKadosh Baruch we have a cause to mourn we have all types of things every single month and every holiday 
has something that's involved whether it's an opportunity to be more charitable and donate more money to the kolel to the yeshiva to the synagogue to the community to the poor people or it's to buy specific types of food on pesach and they uh, on rosh hashanah uh there's all types of uh reasons that you know you're gonna have to spend a fortune during the holidays so you're gonna have it all year round all year round now you'd ask yourself how does an avrech how does a torah scholar that simply dedicates himself to learning torah and doesn't work a regular job he works in a torah how does he survive with 500 dollars a month a thousand dollars a month how does he survive supporting three four five six seven eight nine kids in Eretz Yisrael in some places in America how does he survive sometimes the wife works sometimes the family helps sometimes the Kadosh Baruch Hu simply makes a new miracle every single month sometimes it's a combination of everything the point being is it still does not remove the reality that it is expensive to live as a Jew now if you want to become a Jew or you're brand new uh into the religious world or you're a young, young kid and you now are a uh a bar mitzvah boy automatically you all have a big expense what's the big expense you have to buy yourself a talit good talit will cost you 100 200 300 dollars depending where you're buying it from but nonetheless the better the quality the more expensive it is now that's the ease that's actually the cheap version that's the cheap one why because then you have to go get yourself tefillin now of course if you have uh, an ounce of yirat shamayim and a few dollars in your pocket you're not going to go buy your uh, tefillin on eBay or some uh, some uh, street corner for uh, for the uh, deepest discount, you're gonna buy a solid pair of tefillin. It's not gonna cost you less than a thousand dollars. Simply, especially since prices have increased over the last couple of years, probably last year, year and a half, they've increased drastically. Just simply because it's much more difficult to make with Corona, there's less people making them. Uh, the prices of tefillin have increased drastically. You know, so, it said, so the people that are selling them are, are either stop selling them or are simply making less money or have increased the prices. But nonetheless, tefillin are expensive. To buy anything even close to being good, you're going to have to spend a thousand bucks. Now, can you get something for cheaper? Sure, you could buy everything for cheaper. You could buy five dollars. You can find it in the street. But if you want to buy quality, just like if you want to buy quality anything else, you have to spend money. Now, if you want to buy better than that, you want to buy a really good one, you're going to have to spend fifteen hundred, two thousand. There are even tefillin that you can buy for eight, ten thousand dollars. That depends. I had one guy ask me, listen, I heard that there's this gulav, this, of this, of this, of this. How much does it cost? I told him you can buy tefillin on my uh, on my website. It's sixteen hundred dollars. It's really if you buy it anywhere else, it'll probably cost you over two thousand, but it's sixteen hundred dollars. It's a good tefillin. Very good, Vemehuda. He goes, No, no, but is there something better? I said, Of course there's always something better. There's always something better. This one is black on black and it's a comes with a uh you know it's a uh handmade and it comes with this and it comes with that but of course there's better of course he goes how much better i said as better as you want so what about what do you have i said i have a feeling that's better oh what feeling do you have so my feeling is better how much feeling guys if you want to get feeling that i have i'll cost you probably about five thousand dollars what why why would five I said, don't buy it buy five dollars it's whatever you want i want a better feeling why because i want a better feeling that's what i want I spent that money. You want to spend the money? You can spend the money too. You don't want to. No one's no one's putting a gun to your head. He said, "Is something even better than that?" I said, "Of course, there's something better than that." He said, "Even better than the five thousand? I said, "Of course, there's better than the five thousand. So what's better than five thousand? I said, "I can get you for eight thousand, nine thousand, if the guy even sells it anymore. 
says, what do you mean? The guy wouldn't sell me a tefillin for eight, nine thousand dollars? I said, no. He doesn't, sometimes he just doesn't feel like doing it. He's not a guy that uh, really is looking for customers, to be honest with you. We have to convince him. So how much do you, how many often do you get? Not often. Not often at all. Why? Most people barely want to spend a thousand bucks, fifteen hundred bucks for tefillin. You think he's going to get that many calls to go get ten thousand dollars tefillin? No. He said, is there something better? I said, yeah, of course there's something better. You can give him something for ten, fifteen thousand dollars tefillin. There's always something better. Always. But the question is, do you want it? Do you need it? Not necessarily. Regular tefillin for a thousand bucks will do the job. As long as it's a kosher tefillin, it's good. The point being is that you as a little bar mitzvah boy, you as a convert, you as a new bal tshuva, automatically on day one, you have to get yourself a tefillin. You have to get tefillin. There's no way that you can survive as a Jew without tefillin. Why? Gemara Masechet Rosh Hashanah, page 17a, the same place that it says that there are certain people that will go to Genom forever, even after Mashiach. That Gemara gives some examples. One of the examples is a, is a Jew that does not lay tefillin, goes to Genom forever. So here we see perhaps why the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Allah Shalom, why he had this uh, this uh, big mission that until this day is uh, all over the world where he told his Hasidim to go get Jews to put on tefillin. Perhaps we can save them from an eternal Genom. Of course, this is not enough simply because if he just puts on tefillin once a year or once in his life, it's not going to save him because he still has to keep Shabbat, still stop wasting seed and so on. But nonetheless, perhaps it's going to wake up that sleepy neshama. That was, in essence, the goal of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Until this day, the Hasidim do it, and if they have the right intentions, the right goals, they succeed sometimes in getting people to do tshuva. The point being is, it's expensive. If the, if the guy in the street says, you know what, I want to get one of those, so I can do it on my own. How much does it cost? It's going to cost you a thousand bucks, fifteen hundred bucks, and so on and so on and so forth. Oh, wow, you don't have something for a discount, maybe fifty bucks? Yeah, I can get you a toy, maybe from, from the, some website, I can buy you a toy from plastic, that has printer paper in it. Yeah, you can buy it for probably $15, $20 if you want. People don't understand that there's how much work goes into it and they have no value for it. Why? Because they don't understand that when they're in making money, the reason why Hashem gave you the money was for you to spend it on his Torah and his mitzvot. Not for you to just spend it on buying cars and watches and so on. But unfortunately, people are confused. And many times you're going to see you uh, a person come to the community ask for tzedakah and all of a sudden he becomes by asking for tzedakah the poor guy is asking for tzedakah to to perhaps uh fund the kolel to build the yeshiva to help some poor people all of a sudden you are asking for tzedakah and what happens instead of getting tzedakah you get a job but an unpaid job what kind of job you become the financial advisor of those people why all of a sudden, instead of coming out, writing a check, giving a credit card, taking some money out, or simply telling you, I don't have, what they do, they start telling you about their financial matters. Ooh, you want Staka? Mm, yeah, you know, market's down. Business is rough. Business, oh, really? Okay, why are you telling me that, though? No, no, I just want to let you know, business is rough. What kind of business are you in? Oh, we're in a laundromat. Oh, la- laundromat, 
tough for, for laundromats goes up and down but people are not washing their clothes anymore yeah you know it's the community has changed you know they're bad and they start telling you about their business manners and how the market's down and the unemployment report was disappointing this morning and bitcoin is up and bitcoin is down oh and god forbid gold goes in the wrong direction and whoo there's a fight between saudi arabia and russia because there goes oil and even though they don't invest in any of those things they're worried about the future for the kids and they start telling you about all this stupid stuff why bottom line is they don't want to give you any money simple but you hear these people the poor guy is asking for Tzedakah to fund Torah institution to build some yeshiva to do something good in the world and the guy starts telling him about all of his financial matters. His business is rough, and his wife is divorcing him, and he uh, just lost this. Before you know it, the guy says, you know what? Maybe I'll start my next campaign for you. I'll raise money for you to help you. Instead of you donating, maybe I'll, you know what? How about this? Let me get a couple of dollars. I'll help you out. Maybe, no, 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 no. I don't need, I don't need, Rabbi. I don't need. Oh, no, but you, you said your wife divorced you. Your kids hate you. Uh, you just declared bankruptcy for the third time. This guy's asking you for, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. Three months later, you find out the guy just spent fifty, a hundred thousand dollars on his boy's bar mitzvah. A bar mitzvah the kid doesn't even know how to read from a Torah because you didn't want to spend the few hundred dollars necessary to get a serious tutor to teach him how to read from a Torah. The kid doesn't even know how to say the brachot, but you spend fifty, a hundred thousand dollars to make sure that he comes out with a Harley Davidson on his bar mitzvah. That's the joke of the matter. You ask the guy, how come you have fifty, a hundred thousand dollars to spend on a bar mitzvah, but to go build a Torah institution, a yeshiva, to help Amisel do tshuva, so they continue being Amisel, not turn into the Christians or the Arabs? Why don't you have money for that? No, that's different, Rabbi. Why is it different? Bar mitzvah is once in a lifetime. That's the attitude. The wedding is once in a lifetime. You only get married once. Oh, not so much, actually. Don't, don't, don't be so sure of yourself. You, uh, you have that kind of marriage. Most likely, you'll get married. I bet you more than once. Mazaltov, twice ahead of time. Why? The reality is, people don't understand what's the purpose of money, and their whole goal is to acquire as much of it as possible, to transfer to wealth to different entities that they want and if you tell them listen you already have all the things that a person can want say yeah but this is for the kids i want to transfer my wealth to the kids sometimes they don't even have a kid they have a dog but they call the dog the kid but nonetheless sometimes the kid acts like a dog but the reality is this is not just a problem with the upper echelon of society and the wealthier uh, people, but even the average folks, even the people that don't even have money yet, teenagers, 18 years old, 19 years old, just got into the world, barely even understand how to do basic accounting and to balance their checkbooks. Already you see that hunger for money and the attitude that they have about money simply being obsessive. They already worried about retirement. The guy just got his first job yesterday. Wait, why are you so worried about retirement? You just got a job yesterday. No, I need to put away from my, my 401k. This company doesn't want to offer 401k, so I have to have an IRA. You're 19 years old. What the hell are you worried about an IRA for? That's 
years from now take care of today eat today learn how to work today see if this is even the right job for you see if, if even they don't fire you in a month because you're halfway mm. the reality is people's obsession with money is absurd and unfortunately just like the Torah says it causes people that are otherwise wise they know algebra they know uh you know uh, how to use computers they know how to uh do certain things in the world but they become blinded by money and even people that will learn in torah people that were otherwise extremely righteous can even fall for the trap of money this is why the chafetz chaim would pray would pray on a regular basis that he and his kids would never be wealthy never never wanted the test of wealth why he never wanted to have that test of having a lot of money because once you have a lot of money the tests change the tests change and I can tell you from experience with a lot of different people most people fail that test it is much more difficult to have the test of money than the test of no money even though poverty is like hell poverty is like death itself the tests of money of actually having a lot of money are extraordinarily more difficult why because they're very different you have a lot more ways to desecrate the Torah to violate Hashem's mitzvot and to simply ruin your life as you can see with the world today society today there are a lot of new billionaires and millionaires in the world today and so is the world becoming Sodom and Gomorrah all over the world now the Gaon Mivilna warned his wife about all of this and tells her the following to be concerned about all of this to be concerned about the education of the children to be concerned about the modesty of the of the girls to be concerned about learning Torah and ethics and not to be concerned about the expense of it all in fact spend extra money he tells her to make sure they have the best possible Torah education even if that means to get the tutor to come to the house sometimes people ask me listen Rabbi the only thing I have in this community is just public schools what do I do with my kid I tell him uh, you know obviously don't send him to public school the Ma'am Loez Rav Kuli Alava Shalom who would fast from week to week while writing the Ma'am Loez wrote in there Parashat Yitro during the Ten Commandments wrote in the Sefer people that send their children to non-Jewish schools are 100% considered idol worshipers idol worshipers they're violating the Ten Commandments so people tell me listen I don't have a yeshiva in my community we don't have it so what do I do is do I don't send him to school he has to go to school homeschool Baruch Hashem you could do homeschool virtually anywhere in the world you could do homeschool and I say okay what do I do when it comes to Torah ah Torah get yourself the best person that can teach your kids Torah now of course you have a lot of things available on the internet but not everything is available on the internet and also some things need to be taught face to face some things need to be taught by a person now, of course this could also be done virtually but nonetheless you need somebody to teach your kid go and get somebody to teach your kid yeah but it's uh the guy that uh I, that's there I asked him and he wants uh 50 bucks an hour pay him 
He wants $100 an hour, pay him. He wants $25 an hour, pay him. Whatever he wants, pay him. If he's good, pay him whatever he wants. Why? That's the purpose of your money. Oh, but it's expensive. Let it be expensive. Let it be expensive. Whatever it costs, you go do it. That's the point of money. That's the point of money. That's why it always baffles me. People tell me, like, during the holidays, Baruch Hashem, holidays are coming up, and there's a bunch of expenses coming up for a lot of people, whether it's the expenses of Rosh Hashanah or the expenses of the uh, helping the poor people, or it's the expenses of, of Sukkot. Sukkot, one of my favorite holidays. I love Sukkot. We always splurge as much as possible to build the best Sukkah, and I'm always disappointed anyway because it always never comes out as perfect as I want it to. But nonetheless, I always try my best to go and buy the best stuff, the best etrog money can buy. Whatever I can afford, whatever I can find, I want to get it. Sometimes I have the merit to get the really, really best. And sometimes the money is not exactly there. But you still do it. Why? Because you know HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, this money that you spend on my mitzvot is not included in your Parnassah. Whatever you spend, I'm going to give you back. So Baruch Hashem, we test our emunah every single year. And somebody asked me, how come you don't go into the business of etrogim. All of these different rabbis in different communities, they sell the etrogim and the lulavim and so on. And, uh, you know, some people make a lot of money doing it. Why don't you do it? I said, no, 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 I don't want to do it. Well, why not? There's a lot of money in it. I said, I don't want to do it for the money. I don't want to do it. For, I don't think I, people, headaches, people, you know, calling me. They want to come this. They want this one, that one. No, I don't want to deal with it. I, I just, if I was going to deal with etrogim or things like that, I would only want the best ones. And the best ones, most people don't want to buy anyway. Why? They want to buy the whole set for $50, $100. My drug costs more than that. And the reality is most people don't have that mentality and who has the patience for it unless they're doing it simply for the money. Now, this is the mentality you're supposed to have. But to get there takes a little bit of time and also a little bit of experience of where money really stands on the priority of life. The Gaomi Vilna says, what can a man salvage from this world nothing nothing from his labor to take with him he brings the coelet that uh, we mentioned chapter 5 verse 14 except the two garments which are his burial shrouds and then he brings a couple of verses from a, from a tanakh in uh, psalm chapter 49 verse 8 also yet a man cannot redeem his brother he cannot give a ransom to Hashem. Where he's, in essence, David Melech is telling us that although you may be a wonderful person, your brother, your sister, your friend, whoever it is, not so much a wonderful person. You kept Shabbat, you put on tefillin, you gave some tzedakah, you did all the good things, Baruch Hashem. Your friend, not so much. Now, unfortunately, sometimes death happens and your friend died. You can't just say, listen, I'm going to give him all my merit so he goes to, to heaven. I'm sorry. David Melech says over here, you cannot do such a thing. You cannot do such a thing. You cannot do such a thing. You, your, your mitzvot from the past cannot redeem your brother. You cannot redeem your brother. Fear not when a man grows rich. For upon his death, he will not take anything. Another verse from uh, Tehilim in uh, verses 17 and 18, where uh, David says sometimes people are worried. Listen, this guy just went into, you know, got a bunch of money. 
he married the right, you know, the the wealthy person. He, uh, you know, she married this person, that person, and and, and did all the, they got a business deal and so on and so forth. David Melech says, "Don't be afraid. Don't worry. Don't worry about the money. Why? That money is not gonna help them in any way, shape, or form. In the real world, it's not gonna help them in any shape or form. Why? That money stays here. The only thing that's gonna help them is how they use the money, how they transfer that wealth." during their life not after their life after their life it's worthless during their life how they use that money what kind of acts of good do they do with that money and needless to say even without the money but unfortunately many times people marry for the wrong reasons and uh find out the hard way find out the hard way and there's countless stories that come to me from different people that made horrible decisions before they did tshuva, before they learned the right things, and uh, they married the wrong person. And uh, there's literally almost no end to their suffering when they realize that they married the wrong person. And it's not like they married the wrong person, uh, you know, because uh, of, of, of something that's unbeknownst to man. Simply, she married him because... He has a good job. He makes half a million dollars a year. He's a good-looking fellow. She liked it. He told her, listen, but I keep Shabbat. She said, I don't keep Shabbat. Yeah, but uh, I want you to keep Shabbat. She goes, listen, if you take care of me, I'll keep whatever you want me to keep. And he says, okay, fine. Oh, I made a Baal Tshuva also. So he takes this woman that says the condition for her to keep Shabbat in essence, is for him to take care of her, buy her wherever she wants, and he doesn't realize that her wants continue to grow. And her wants continue to grow, and, uh, you know, she doesn't want to live in this house. Yeah, but this house is a half a million dollar house. Yeah, but this house is not in the level of the house that I had when I was growing up with my parents. We need to get a million and a half dollar house. A million and a half dollar house? Why do we need a million? It's just you and me. What do we need? Eight rooms listen need no need that's the way you say you promised you want me to keep shabbat or you don't want me to keep shabbat and the poor guy writes the check moves to a community he doesn't even want to live in why satisfy her needs and then he says listen baby i want to have a kid oh kids are expensive okay don't worry we can afford it i mean i have a good no 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 the plastic surgery i want you to make a special account for me to get plastic surgery right after birth what do you mean we're gonna have one kid i don't know i can't promise you more than one kid i don't want to look like i'm disheveled like some of these old ladies where you know they they are they're fat and this and that i want to look like a supermodel shamuta you know that's what she wants to look like she wants to look like one of these women on unorthodox that's what she wants to look like and the reality is Rabotai, the poor guy, what does he do? Writes the check, opens a separate account. Hey, honey, I love you, baby. Here you go. Here's my account. Here's fi- what? That's how you show me you love me? $50,000? You call this love? Pfft! She throws it in his face. What do you mean? $50,000 for a plastic surgery. You're 25, 30 years old. What do you want? No, 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 no. If you really love me, you'd make at least a one next to that five. And the poor guy goes and does whatever he does to go write another hundred thousand dollars why for the special account after the birth that didn't even happen yet and god forbid the kid comes to the world how much torture she's gonna put the poor guy into why because now she wants everything and she has malachamavit 
on this guy why because he has a kid and all he wants the guy is to have this kid and now he has the kid but she's holding the kid hostage even though it's his kid and that's what happens but it's only a matter of time before they get divorced anyway even after he meets all of her needs she will never have enough never why just like haman who had all the money in the world still was not content because mordechai Yehudi would not bow to him yeah but what about all your money what about the fact that you have more money than a the king what about that it's all worthless haman says because this jew doesn't bow to me and the same concept goes with these girls marry guys for money doesn't matter what you give them eventually she'll divorce you she'll cheat on you and she'll betray you anyway why because you told her to keep shabbat because you told her to wear something modest because you told her one thing for the million and a half things that you did for her it's already too much and god forbid it's the opposite the girl married the guy ooh, ooh, because he has a good position he has a good position and she says listen he's a good guy he's got a good position he's not as successful as i want him to be but my father gave me five million dollars so i'll take care of it and all of a sudden this guy becomes a tragedy walking why every day he has a new entrepreneurship type of idea that he wants her father's money to to fund what about Torah? What about Yeshiva? What about Shabbat? What about everything? Listen, honey, I know I promise you that we'll do that, but listen, we're still young. Maybe we'll do it later on in life. And Chasp Shalom, she brings kids with this vulture. All of those kids are going to be confused. Why? Because the father can't stand the Torah. Can't stand the Torah. Can't stand anything to do with it. And that's what ends up happening, that these things end up in divorce. Many times people say, oh, listen, I'm divorcing my husband, I'm divorcing my wife, I'm divorcing this, I'm divorcing that. It's never surprising. Why? In most cases, they should have never been married. It's actually surprising they survived that long. It's surprising they survived past a day. Why? Because as soon as the lust is out of the way, you realize who you're with, and they're completely different than what you thought. But people live in denial. And many times, Rabotei Karim, it happens on a massive scale, both in the Jewish and the non-Jewish world. People try to marry an illusion and marry for the wrong reasons. And money is one of the most uh, common reasons of why people get married in the, uh, in the world today. And uh, unfortunately, it's one of the most uh, common reasons for divorce. Because if you were successful when you got married or at some point, and now you have a, uh, a hurdle in your path, more times than not, that hurdle will lead to a divorce. Why? She got used to good times. She has no interest in going into bad times. He got used to good times. He has no interest in having you hold them back in these tough times and so on and so forth that's just the reality people make money into their own god and this is one of the things that the gaon mivilna and the rest of the chachamim spend an extraordinary amount of effort to teach us time and time again it's not all that important it's not all that important money is simply a tool no different than a hammer but if you treat it more than that, that's what it will be in your mind. And you can turn money into 100% idolatry. 
100% idolatry. Sometimes I have young Yeshiva Bachurim, 14, 15, 17 years old, already worried about how they're going to make money once they get married. And I thought, wait, are you in the Shiduch already? You're only 15, 16 years old. No, 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 I'm still in Yeshiva. So why are you worried about paying for Yeshiva for your kids? You're still a kid. Well, listen, I'm in the Torah world. I'm going to make money. I see my father's struggling. My this is struggling. Okay, so... Do what you have to do today. Kadosh Baruch Hu will take care of tomorrow. Why are you worried about tomorrow? You have food today. Rabbi Elazar says, if you have food today and you're worried about tomorrow, that already means that your emunah is virtually non-existent. Virtually non-existent. Where? What kind of Torah are you learning if, you're, if your emunah, your faith in Hashem is non-existent? You have more faith in your ability. No, I'm going to be an accountant. No, I'm going to be a jeweler. No, I'm going to be a, a Bitcoin guy. No, but... Okay, you can be whatever you want to be. Who says you're going to succeed in it other than a Kadosh Baruch Hu? And this is one of the things that people forget. They forget and God forbid they succeed. They succeed and they still don't re- realize where the money came from. That money becomes a destructive force in their life. So the Gaumi Vilna says, Fear not when man grows rich for upon his death he will not take anything. And do not say I will leave for my children the means to acquire portions of food. For when you are in the grave, who is going to tell you whether they retain wealth you leave them? He already says to us, don't say, no, listen, I have this money, I have this job, I'm working overtime. Why? Because I want to leave my kids an inheritance so they can have food, they're not going to be worried. He says, who says that your kids are actually going to be the ones that benefit out of this? Many times, people work, work, work. They will have a certain plan of who to give the money to and it ends up going to somebody completely different. In one famous case in Eretz Yisrael, one very, very wealthy guy made an enormous amount of money, suddenly died as a Kadosh Baruch who wanted, and his wife married his enemy. His wife married his enemy. Unbelievable. But that's what happens many times. I have a guy that I used to be friends with, Greek guy, that uh, he had an enormous fortune, big house and so on. One day, he finds out that his wife wants a divorce. Why do you want a divorce? We're married for 20 plus years. We have uh, great kids. Everything is good. No, I fell in love. Fell in love with me. No, no, no. I fell in love with somebody else. Do I know him? Yeah, you know him. I like him. He goes, yeah, you, 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 are you pretty friendly with him? Oh, Eric, the accountant, Hashem Yishmael So this woman, she cheated on her husband with the accountant and ended up taking most of the guy's money anyway. Why? Who knew where all the money was? The accountant. And this Rabotai cream happens often. And I've seen it in, when I was on Wall Street. I saw it quite a few times of how people betray each other over money it's the most disgusting thing in the world i had one client that made a fortune in dog food fortune over a hundred million dollars he made in dog food and one day he uh calls me tells me listen uh you know i had uh, had the accounts for him managing his money we made millions and millions of dollars together and i also started managing a few million dollars for his sons and of course he gave the business to his sons and one of his sons all of a sudden started acting weird all types of things and he my client uh, calls me, he says, listen, we have a problem, you're going to have lawsuits, all types of things. Wow, what happened? Oh, my uh, son 
uh, he, uh, he married this uh, money-hungry witch, and she is destroying the whole family, and so on and so forth. What ended up happening? The son that got everything he has from the father, betrayed the father, took as much money as he could possibly take, literally almost like destroyed the whole family. For what? For some girl that he wanted to marry. And why did the father have so much against this girl? Because she was caught by the father and other people cheating on the very same guy that is destroying the whole family for her. So, of course, the father was actually a very good guy. This guy, Bob, fantastic guy. Of course, he doesn't want his son to marry this, this prostitute that's cheating on his son. But his son is stupid, and that's what he did. And it went on for years like this. Years, the battle went back and forth. It's, it was unbelievable. It's, but that's what happens, Rabotai. Money makes people, Jews and Gentiles, simply crazy simply crazy and the only tool to protect your mind and your soul from the poisonous understanding of money is the torah it's the only thing only thing that can actually protect you from it now of course you can have certain people that don't necessarily have a torah education but are perhaps more ethical more right uh you know more decent even when it comes to business i haven't met many of them nonetheless I'm assuming they do exist in the world, but there's always that line. There's always that line. They may be ethical in their business, but not so much in their marriage, or perhaps even less so in their divorce. They may be ethical with their uh, with their uh, wife, but not so much with their children. Uh, not so much with this. Not so much with that. There's always that line. But when a person has a Torah education, understands the Allah understands the law understands the responsibility of how to view money how to use money everything changes this is why the chachamim focused an enormous amount of energy to remind a person do not ruin everything for this money why you can't take it with you anyway you can't take it with you anyway and then the gaul continues he says people are like blades of glass blades of of grass in the field these blades grow while these blades wither and die page 54a everyone is born under his constellation and under the divine providence children may even be glad when he dies as he descends into the netherworld here the gemara in masechet eruvin uh, page 54 has one of the sages one of the famous sages named Rav and uh, he uh, tries to uh, explain to us the unnecessary unnecessary efforts that people have and, uh, and exert in order to accumulate wealth that's for the purpose of leaving money for their children why why is there why is it such a purposeless task to acquire wealth with the idea that you're gonna leave this wealth for your children so much so that the sages call it foolish call it completely ridiculous it says people are like grass they grow they die and perhaps the kids that you gave the money to are happy that you're gonna die in fact there's another gemara somewhere else that says there is actually a reason why the body of a person of a jew 
becomes, was decreed to become impure as soon as he dies. Technically, the Torah didn't say this. This is a biblical uh, 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 law that as soon as a person becomes a, uh, 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 is dead, becomes automatically tameh. Why? Chachamim said, if the person is rich, then surely those kids are going to fight over the money. If there's not enough Torah, and unfortunately sometimes even if there is Torah, but not enough, they're going to fight over who gets the house, who gets the business, who gets the Bitcoin, who gets the stocks, who gets the bonds, who gets the uh, trust, who gets the real estate, who gets the furniture, who gets the paintings, who gets the money that's uh, in, a, in a safe, who gets the diamonds, who gets the this, who gets the that, who gets the fields, and they're going to fight over everything. And then it becomes just simply a battle. No, but it's mine. But he loved me more. No, but he loved you more. But he loved you this. Yeah, but I was a girl. But I was a boy. But you don't deserve. But you were there. But I took care of him. But I listened to him. And they start fighting. And the Gemara says something mafrid. You know mafrid? Mafrid is scary. But not scary because it talks about Gainon. Scary because it's a reality. The Gemara says, Rabotai, mafrid. When I heard this the first time, I started goosebumps goosebumps the Gemara says when these kids start fighting over money that their father had or their mother had and that was an inheritance and they're fighting over property and they're fighting over this and they're fighting over that eventually they're gonna f- forget that their parent even died in fact some of the kids are gonna be happy that they died just like it says over here oh it's better that he died because now i can get the house that i always wanted for my kids he was already old oh it's better that she died because finally i could build the things that i wanted to build she didn't want to give it to me when she was alive so at least i'm gonna do mitzvahs now that she's dead they're happy that the parents are dead but that's not the worst part that's not the mafrit part you know what the mafrit part is the scary part is the gemara says they're gonna fight who's gonna get this and who's gonna get that and who's gonna get this who's gonna get that and then it's gonna be to such an extent that it's gonna be so disgusting they're gonna forget about listen forget forget about the parent that died i just want stuff okay but you got stuff you got this and you got that yeah but i'm still not happy why says somebody that has a hundred wants 200 somebody has 200 wants 400 somebody has 400 wants 800 meaning that the more somebody accumulates the more they feel like they're missing so he got a bunch and he's still not happy because all he wants is money all he wants is wealth he forgot that his father or his mother died so now since he's not content he says you know what fine you got the houses i got this fine you don't know but you also got the painting oh what are you gonna give me for the painting give me money no i'm not giving you money okay you know what i'm taking the body excuse me the body i'm gonna take the body what do you mean gonna take the body we're gonna bury the body okay we're gonna bury the, the you know the, the meat and everything else i'm gonna have my professional over here that works for me in my field he's gonna take the skin i'm gonna take the skin and make a nice jacket out of it maybe a sofa in memory of of of, of, of our father and the Gemara says they're going to fight over the skin of their parents. Hashem Yishmor V'yatzil. Gemara is not mentioning this in order to exaggerate. A reality. 
a law was instituted in order to protect from this desecration of the dead what dead the dead parents he becomes tameh so you can't touch him you can't make a painting from your father's skin that's what happened that's what happened when people are crazy crazy about money they literally would fight over the skin of their parents the Gemara says maybe perhaps they'll think in their mind maybe since he was rich he was a celebrity maybe i can make a nice uh wall unit out of it i could do something it'll be worth a lot of money and that's why the uh the body becomes tame that's why the skin is tame the skin is impure and therefore you're not allowed to use it no matter how demented a person is and that's what in essence one of the things that Rav says to us you work so hard because you want to leave your kids so much money you want them to have a 401k and an and and IRA and a 401 this and an IU this and all type of things you're not understanding something you're not understanding what the mind of a Jew is supposed to think if you learn Torah you would understand but you don't understand why because the Torah says in multiple places and countless other places in different formats that it doesn't matter how much money you give your kid as an inheritance it doesn't matter whether it's one dollar or one billion dollars it does not matter one bit why it was already decreed in Shamaim whether your son or your daughter is going to have wealth or not. When was it decreed? Before they came to the world. Before they came to the world. The Gemara Masechet Nida, page 16b, says that when the seed of the husband goes into the wife, a special malach, a special angel by the name of Laila, takes that seed brings it to akadosh baruch Hu and says akadosh baruch Hu, this seed what will be with this seed hashem says life there'll be life in this seed it's not gonna be nothing it'll be life in this seed it'll be a certain person and the malach laila says okay what will be with this person now what will be will it be tall will be short male female rich poor smart or stupid good looking or ugly what will be with this person our sages teach us that it doesn't matter whether you leave your son the inheritance or not if akadosh Hu wants him to be rich he doesn't need your inheritance and if akadosh Hu wants him to be poor akadosh Hu will make sure that it will happen despite your inheritance why akadosh Hu runs the world that's why many times when people tell me listen there's arguments in the house you know about money this that give in give in why give in why shouldn't i do my ishtadlut you can do your ishtadlut if you want it's all based on how much emunah you have but in reality if something is yours you're gonna get it if something is yours you're gonna get it why akadosh who's writing checks not your father not your sister not your boss not your cousin akadosh who's the one writing checks you can make minimal effort just to 
make it look realistic if you want, but in reality, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one writing checks. This is the confusion that a lot of people have. A lot of people don't understand that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one that writes checks. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one that feeds everyone. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one that sustains us all. And he decides whether you're going to be rich or you're going to be poor. Now, of course, a person can do certain things to change the decree. That perhaps if it was decreed that this person was going to uh, be poor, he's going to lose a lot of money. If that person does certain things, they do tshuva, they do chesed, they, uh, they donate a, uh, you know, a money for Torah, for mitzvot, they do a lot of big things that the Chachamim say, they could even change the decree. But it also happens in the opposite. It happens in the opposite. That if a person was decreed to have a certain amount of money, but if that person makes certain types of sin, whether it's wasting seed, gambling, lending money with interest, and all types of things that are forbidden, desecrating Shabbat, HaKadosh Baruch Hu could simply either take away all the money or take away all the blessing without taking away the money. Where a person could still have an enormous amount of money, but it's full of problems, that money. The IRS wants it, the doctors want it, the lawyers want it, everybody wants it, and you don't get to enjoy a single penny, which is literally sometimes even worse than not having money. But the point is, is that a person that understands that Hashem is the one that writes the checks, he's the one that decides, lives their life completely differently. They're not worried about leaving their kids a certain amount of wealth in order for that kid to have all they need. Why? Because when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to fulfilling your role in the world, you have to be selfish. One of the things that the Chachamim are trying to teach us here, the Gaon Mivyona, Rav, all of the different sages that discuss this issue, is that this, the issue of money is a constant reminder of what is your purpose of your life. What is the purpose of you being in the world? If you ask the average person, how are you alive? They're not going to be able to give you an answer. What do you mean? I'm alive. Yeah, but how? How are you alive? Well, my heart's working. My brain's working. Therefore, I'm alive. Okay, but how? How is the heart working? It works. What kind of answer? It works. How is it working? It works. How is your brain working? You know how many different cells and neurons and so on in, in, in the brain? Endless amount of connections in there. How is it all working? I don't know. It works. But how? How is it all function? What's making it all function? It just functions. What kind of answer is that? If I told you that the car is running, you know, with no fuel, you'd ask me, how is it running? I tell you, it just runs. Ah, it's electric. No, no, it's not electric. It's not a, uh, it's not Tesla. No, no fuel, no electric. Ah, you invented something new. It's water. No, there's no liquid at all. So how is it running? It just runs. You're going to say, oh, you should uh, go into a mental institution. It's not possible. Something has to give it life. So you give me an answer. What is giving you life? What is making the brain work? What is making your heart work? What? The average person cannot give you an answer. Cannot give you an answer. They don't know. You could even complicate it further. You say, yeah, well, listen, uh, uh, it works because there perhaps there's certain blood that does this and the cells, they do that. Okay, so how come it works for you and the guy over there that they're burying in the cemetery over there, a few feet under the ground, his, he also has a heart. 
and he also has a brain but his stopped working how come oh no he had a heart attack no he didn't have a heart attack oh he probably had an aneurysm uh, no he didn't have an aneurysm all right probably old no he's actually only 30 years old ah probably got into an accident no didn't get into an accident what do you mean just stopped working yeah stopped working in fact it stops working for millions of people every year and i promise you it's not all from the virus or the vaccine sometimes people simply stop working why is his work and his doesn't work how come explain to me and he said oh god did it oh hold on a second were you religious on me right now oh don't become a rabbi on me now tell me how is it working oh god isn't that you believe in god i believe in god what about you yeah yeah i believe in god i believe that there has to be a high. okay wait so you believe in god you believe this god is the reason why your heart's functioning you believe this god is the one that's making your brain function so obviously this god is a genius because he does all of this wirelessly all of this is wireless all of this is without anything that runs out of time until he decides all of it doesn't need any tokens or anything and this god just puts you in the world why no instructions no purpose of life just for you to have a good time so how come there's a bunch of people that millions of people billions of people not having a good time in fact poverty hunger all types of disasters how come and you don't have those why why do you have this life and they have that life the more you ask the average person the more confused they're going to be why there is no way to answer the question of what's the purpose of life without torah simple no purpose no way no way that you could answer it without the torah and you can say yeah but you could do it also with other religions no you can't why the other religions will get stuck at a certain portion where is that portion a certain portion where they have to rely on the torah so why should i go to them if i could just go directly to the torah that's what the kuzari did 900 years ago almost a thousand years ago he realized that if the uh, islam and the christians the catholics they're all depending on the torah they're all saying the torah is the foundation why should i go to the middleman let me just go straight to the jews and go to the torah so the reality is the only way to explain purpose of life is the torah and money is one of those things that is supposed to be a constant reminder a constant reminder of the torah actually of the purpose of your life but unfortunately many times a person is not only not going to be reminded of the torah through his money but in fact forget the torah forget the purpose of life because of money meaning the same tool that's supposed to help them ends up destroying them it's like the knife is supposed to be used to you know to cut your food so you could survive but it could also be used to murder people and this is one of the things that a person can only help themselves no one can help a person other than themselves even if you have somebody that wants to help you if you don't want to help yourself no help in the world is going to help you have to be willing to help yourself now if a person looks at the world around them they'll see that you ask the average person why do you work so hard why are you working two jobs or so many hours so many days and so many things many times they're gonna tell oh for kids for the future for this for that okay fine but what do you want now oh i just want good health i want to have good health i'll be happy so you see you notice that people will tell you what do they want they want health but in reality in reality if they don't have the torah as the guide 
to their life, they ruin their health for the first 40 years of their life in order to acquire money, destroy their health, work an endless amount of hours, terrible types of jobs, all types of things that literally destroy their health just to acquire this money. And then for the rest of their lives, whatever is left of it, whether it's a year or 80 years, they spend and destroy all of their money in order to get back the health that they lost acquiring it. This is unfortunately one of the things that is happening in all parts of society. And only the Torah is the thing that could help a person understand how they could treat money and in an appropriate way without becoming so obsessive about it that it becomes the person's uh, uh, poison instead of a, a tool that can help them build something. Now, the Gaumi Vilna brings a uh, different uh, verses from the, uh, from the Torah, from the Tanakh, and next he brings, he says that the Resh Lakish, Resh Lakish, a, uh, one of the uh, great sages of, of the Gemara, says that at the time of his death, time of his death, Resh Lakish left his children a cup of saffron. Saffron is like a vegetable. Uh, think of it as like something similar to a parsley. Saffron. That's all he had left. He used to be a huge gangster, mafia boss. Rabbi Yochanan helped him do tshuva, became the chavruta. He himself became one of the gdolei ador, one of the giants among giants, Resh Lakish. Now, of course, he didn't waste his time chasing money, doing this. He lived. But he made sure that all money that he had, he treated it the right way. What's the right way? If I have money, I get whatever I need. Fund whatever Torah I need. Fund whatever stock I need. If I have whatever I need and it's extra, simple. I give it to whoever else needs. Whoever else Hashem sends me. This guy, what do you need? Uh, you, you ask me for stock? Okay, no problem. What do you need? Oh, I need money for Shabbat. Here you go. Hey, what do you have? Oh, I, a wedding for my kid. Okay, here you go, here you go, here you go. He doesn't leave any money for himself. Why? There's no need. Why? If a Kadosh Baruch Hu decides that I'm going to have, I'm going to have. Now, of course, everybody's in their own level. Not everybody could live literally that way where everything that they don't need, they simply give away for the sake of Torah. But Dresh Lakish, the Tzadikim, live that way. They live that way in, 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 in such a fashion that before he died, all he had left was this cup of saffron, this vegetable. And yet he applied to himself the Pasuk in Tehilim in, in Psalm chapter 49, verse 11, which says, Oy vay voy, it says, Woe to me, says, chelam. He says, Woe to me that I'll apply to myself that they leave their wealth to others. They leave that Resh Lakish has parsley, has a saffron and a vegetable in his hand, and he's crying. It's like, wow, well, woe to me that I leave all my wealth to others. Who's to others? To the enemy? To his kids. What are you leaving them? Billions of dollars? No, it's vegetable. Vegetable, you're leaving them, and you're crying over it? Yeah, because I could have, if I would have treated my money properly, I wouldn't even have that. Even that money that I spent on this vegetable. I would have used the Fitztaka. Obviously, I bought too much. I, uh, I misused the money. I bought too much. I didn't need to eat that much. I, I bought more than I need to eat. I could have used that few dollars to go do more chesed, 
to go do more tzedakah, to go do something else that's good in the world. And he cried over this. And now the Gaomi Vilna says, Woe to the people, woe to all who plan on leaving wealth to their children when the only benefit found from sons and daughters is through their Torah and good deeds, but their sustenance is fixed for them. So here, the Gaomi Vilna repeats what Rav says in the Gemara in uh, Maseret Eruvin, which is, Woe to the people that are working so hard, toiling so hard to leave this wealth for their kids, because obviously they didn't learn Torah, because had they learned Torah, they would have arrived at the Gemara, saw that Resh Lakish and many of the other sages treated money in a certain fashion as simply a tool, a tool to do the will of Hashem, not to build empires of stuff you don't need, so much so that they cried if they had misused the money by meaning by having too much and yet you instead of having a mentality that's somewhat close to it or at least in the same world as it all you're trying to do a day before you die is buy another vacation house you're never going to visit spend another few dollars on jewelry you're never going to wear do all types of things that are going to fund the future that you're never going to see says woe to those people woe to those people that are working so hard to give this to their children why because all they want to give to their children it's not in their hands it's not going to be decided by you it doesn't matter who you are you could be a billionaire you could be a millionaire you could be as poor as dirt and it doesn't matter what you leave your kid if a kadosh baruchu the Melech Malcheam Lachim Akadosh Bauchu, the King of Kings, he wants your children to be wealthy, they will be wealthy. If he wants them to be poor, Shemishmo, that's what will happen. That's what will happen. Instead of worrying so much about leaving them money, you should focus on leaving them Da Torah. Leaving them Da Torah. That's actually what the, uh, the sons. The son of, of the Gomi Vilna testified on his father's behalf when he uh, wrote the commentary on the Shuchan Aruch. He says that his father, the Gomi Vilna, never sent them uh, friendly letters. The only thing he inquired about is about the Yirat Shamaim, how much fear of the Almighty they had. Where one time where he went to uh, visit his father after not seeing him for a few years, the Gaon gave him a, some time to rest from a very long journey. As soon as he got up, instead of saying, how are you? How's this? How's that? He said, okay, surely you wasted a lot of time in this journey, not studying Torah like you typically do. So now, first thing first, go learn Torah. Make up for that time you didn't study Torah. Why? That's the purpose of life. That is the purpose of life. The only thing that the Gaomi Vilna cared about for his kids is how much Yirat Shemaim they had, how much fear of the Almighty they had, how much Torah they had. Why? That's the only thing that I can truly give you. That's the only thing I can truly give you. And as a rabbi of a community, a, a rabbi needs to know that's truly the only thing you can give the community. The Torah is the only thing you can give them. The Da'at Torah, the opinion of the Torah. This is why the sages work so hard to tell people these messages that would seem harsh 
to the weak among us, but in reality, they're the only version of reality. I'll give you another example that's mentioned in his book. Right now we're in Slichot. We're in Slichot, we are in a time of repentance, a time of tshuva and preparation for the judgment day. And there's a uh, lots of lectures that talk about uh, doing tshuva as a common statement, Bo Cheshbon, the sage, the, the, the Baalei Amusar says, Bo Cheshbon, come to the accounting, is in essence, come to do self-accounting. Come to do a self-accounting of what sins you have to do tshuva before it's too late, what mistakes you've made. Now there's also a sefer, a book called Boi Cheshbon. Now Boi Cheshbon was written by one of the Gdolei Adol from a couple of hundred years ago, Rabbi Akiva Igel. Rabbi Akiva Igel, a couple of hundred years ago. It's one of the Gdolei Adol, giant posik. Now, Rabbi Akiva Igel was gaon, like something out of this world. And with all of the things that he wrote and, and, and taught, the reality of life never escaped him for a moment of how everybody else is not necessarily always thinking that way. Hence the reason why he would often read this, tell this to his community, verbatim. Where he would give them this announcement word for word and say the following ben adam human being prepare for yourself provisions meaning do a self-accounting before the sun sets and it's dark for you before your flame is extinguished prepare for yourself a path mend breaches that you broke through in your lifetime before you are removed from this world know the god of your father coming are the days that you did not care for all your life you must know and surely heard that to dust you will return and you are mere dust in this world to a place of shadows and darkness they will lead you and until the grave others will accompany you please remember the day of your departure from your land your birthplace and your father's house your wealth will then be as useless as your children and they will be powerless to raise your arms better he be dead than alive your inheritors will say blessed it is that we have reached the end of your days those born in your house will forget you barely once a year will they remember your name that's once a year that there's the yard site of the parents after the first year. Usually the, you know, the yard site's once a year. And that's what he's talking about. All your friends and brothers will abandon you. Even your wife will critique you. Why won't you remember the day that they will dress you in white shrouds and cover you with dark soil? Just some straw they will place under you from all the wealth for which you endeavored a flame they will light at your head and your feet will be pointed towards the door your acquaintance will surround you and as saplings of oil trees your sons will stand on their palms they will carry you and into the deep pit they will lay you to rest 
Your mouth opening will be covered, your eyes and broken shards on your face. Extra food will turn into worms and death. Nothing will remain but your bones. Your relatives and friends will return to your home, and you will remain there in the grave alone. See all this as if with all your eyes, with your own eyes, and repent from your sins. This is the announcement that the Gdol Adol, the giant among giants, would say to himself, to his family, to his community. This is what he would say. Not on a day of mourning, not on Tisha B'Av. This is simply an understanding of life. Before you go and dedicate all your life to acquiring something, that perhaps your enemies will get in the end, or the kids that will be happy that you're dead will get, or the wife that is now married to somebody that you don't care for. You are spending all of your time acquiring stuff that you can't take with you. This is the mindset of the sages, and really the more experience a person has, in life, the more they see this to be the only truth that exists. You know, many times you see that young guys, young girls have zero patience. Zero pay. It's not even zero. It's like negative. And when you, they ask sometimes, oh, Rabbi, can you give me a blessing? And one of the blessings that Rabbi Ephraim says is for a person to have nachat yudit. Nachat yudit. What's nachat yudit? Nachat is to have like the comfort, the, 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 the well uh, 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 person is going to have a certain um, uh, comfort, spiritual comfort of a Jew. Now, when a young person hears Nachat, like rest, like something that's calm, they don't even understand why that's a blessing. Your average young person has no idea why to have Nachat is actually a blessing. Why is that a blessing? I want to go get stuff. I want to go buy stuff. I want to go build stuff. I want stuff. Ah, ee, ah. That's the average person. Unfortunately, today, the, the age of children has increased. Children used to be, you know, 10, 8, 6, 11. Today, 30, 40, sometimes 50. But the reality is, is that when you bless somebody with nachat, they have no concept of why you're even, why this is even a blessing. Who understands what nachat is? Either someone that had a lot of difficulties in their life, or someone that has a lot of talai in their life, or both. Why? Because you understand the value of nachat. You understand the value of having it, and you appreciate it and you yearn for it. But you also know that you didn't come to this world to rest. You came to this world to toil. One of the tools that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us in this world is that's going to remind us that we came to this world to toil is actually money. Is money. Why? Because not just the money to acquire, but also to think about and plan what am I going to use this money for? What am I going to do with this money? Okay, so food I have. This I have. All the different things a person sometimes has, but yet they still have enough money to save a few shekels in the bank. Invest, do this, do that. For what? 
Now, many times when people uh, ask about staka and so on, we try to do our best to not really talk about uh, uh, money directly to people. That's just generally my, uh, my thing. I don't ask people for money. If somebody wants to donate, they can donate on their own. And uh, anyone that's been watching my shooting for a long time knows that it's just simply not something that I do. Even when people ask me to call them so they could consider what to donate, tell them, listen, whatever you want to donate, you do it on your own. You're never going to get a call from me asking you to donate. We have sometimes a, uh, uh, you know, an assistant, a helper in an organization that calls people and asks them if they want to donate, but that call will never come from me. And generally speaking, it's just not something I like to talk about. Why? Because I want people to decide for themselves, for themselves. It's and not think that it's a me convincing them in any way, but nonetheless, donation is a critical part of a person's life. Why? Because it shows that you have an understanding of what's the purpose of money. Now, how much should a Jew donate? How much should a Jew donate? Chachamim tell us maaser A person has two types of uh, money to donate. You have the maaser, which is the tithe, and you have tzedakah. Now, Tzedaka, every Jew is obligated, whether poor or rich, to have to give at least $1 uh, uh, a year. Now, of course, everybody in their own levels, if you're wealthy, you have to give, obviously, a lot more than a dollar. If you're poor, you have to give at least $1. But Maser, that's the tithe, that's the 10%. Now, the Chachamim say that the, uh, the promise that a person is going to become wealthy as a result of, of giving Maser is only if they give... 20%. And that's actually what the Gaumi Vilna says. He says, if a person gives 10% of their income, whatever money they make, their uh, their gross income, they give 10% for the sake of Torah, for Kiru, for Talmidei Chachamim, and so on, to help the poor, they give that uh, 10%, they're going to have protection of that money, where even if the market crashes or whatever it is, Hashem will promise to, uh, to protect their money so they don't go poor. Now, if they want to become wealthy and they, they, uh, they want to test the Shem with the, the, the test of wealth, then they have to give 20% of their income. 20% of their income. As far as tzedakah, they should give as much as they can. Now, of course, the wealthier a person is, the uh, less relevant the percentages are. Meaning that if a person is, let's say, making, I don't know, $50,000, $100,000 a year, and uh, he should give the masel, and of course, he should give some type of tzedakah. But if the person is a, uh, should still not make himself poor or anything, but if the person is, let's say, you know, a multimillionaire, he has 10, 20 million dollars, 100 million dollars and things like that, he could literally give 90% of his wealth. Why? Because he doesn't need all that money. Now, are most people going to do that? Absolutely not. But nonetheless, when a person understands that their money is there in order to fulfill mitzvot, in order to do good in the world and not necessarily to acquire more stuff, it becomes more and more of a reality. More and more of reality. And that's why the, for the religious people are much bigger donors than the non-religious people. Because while the non-religious person will sometimes donate as an act of kindness to do good, this is occasional. This is when they have that feeling. This is when they have that motivation. Whereas the religious Jews... They do it because it's part of their life. It's part of their religion. It's part of their simple understanding of what's the point of money. Uh, it's, and it's, it's actually something that is common among other religions too. You see that in, the, uh, in, the, in other religions, 
the uh, religious people are extremely more, uh, 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 you know, more generous when it comes to donation than non-religious people. Why? Because it's part of practicing the uh, the actual religion itself. Now, of course, when it comes to Judaism, the truth and the only truth that exists in the world, we always try to make sure that people realize that if they're going to donate, they have to make sure that they take some type of record of it. They keep they take uh, uh, good care of this donation because this is the investment of tomorrow this is the investment into your future this is not necessarily an investment that will pay you a reward next week because sometimes when people you know they don't understand when they donate that's because usually they want something in return right away oh if i donate for this you promise that this year i'm going to make a million dollars no unfortunately well i'm going to go to the rabbi that does promise and unfortunately that happens there are some people that are salesmen, that are con men, that call themselves religious, even sometimes call themselves rabbis, that promise a bunch of things to people that they can't really deliver on, and they can't even promise. And I had one particular guy tell me, listen, I'm, uh, I owe my rabbi $100,000. said, why do you owe your rabbi $100,000? He said, well, because he, uh, you know, he told me, uh, how much money do I want to make 15 times of? So what do you mean 15 times he said whatever i want to make 15 times of i have to donate uh that amount so i donated i don't know whatever the amount was and uh i uh still owe him a hundred thousand dollars i said okay so how's that promise going did you make 15 times that amount in uh, in that year he goes no i actually declared bankruptcy that same year and that's why i owe him the hundred thousand dollars so yeah it's because you can't make such ridiculous promises and many times people promise these things because it's a business. They want you to donate because they want you to donate and they're willing to sometimes, uh, you know, put a wool over your eyes and their own eyes. And this is also the reason why we, I don't ever call anybody for donations. I don't want anyone to ever think that this is the case. Now, of course, donations are necessary, but the key is for a person to understand that they need it, not that they are needed they need it for themselves they're doing it for themselves they're not necessarily needed uh by any particular organization organization if hashem decides that organization or that person is going to get it's either going to be you or it's going to be somebody else that uh, hashem is going to use now the gemara brings a very uh, extraordinary story about a righteous person a righteous king in page 11a there was a uh, righteous king that uh, uh, by name of uh, Munbaz, King Munbaz, who at his time, there was a severe famine in the, uh, in the land. There was a drought and people didn't have any food, any anything. Now, of course, typically what ends up happening is people take care of themselves when there's a hunger, when there's a drought. Everybody takes care of themselves, including the uh, the people of the uh, you know that are running the place it's just a reality of life and you see it in all societies and all places unless the people behind the scenes are righteous people like you had in Egypt when there was a worldwide drought and famine and so on you had Yosef Tzadik feed the whole world feed the whole world he could have easily just uh, told Paro keep everything for yourself so you stay alive but what ended up happening ended up feeding the whole world and you see righteous people are even more concerned about the people during terrible times than they are about good times usually the bad people only treat people good because it's good times not because it's bad times now this king Munbaz 
so that people are suffering instead of becoming a hermit and hiding behind the soldiers he opened up his uh his his places all of his reserves and started giving everything away to all of the people but not just what he acquired for himself but also what his father and grandfather and great-grandfather all of his ancestors he started distributing all of the wealth to all of the poor people so much so that the people of his uh, family of his uh, kingdom came and complained against him they rallied against him and the Gemara says that uh, the uh, the brothers and his father's family banded together against him and said to him your fathers hoarded their wealth and added to the fortune of their forefathers and you instead of increasing the family's riches are liberally expending them why are you destroying the work of generations the answer that king Munbaz gives if a person understood it and applied it to their life automatically their life becomes blessed their life becomes blessed why because they truly have an understanding of their purpose in the world and even more so an understanding of the purpose of money so king Munbaz says to his family my father's hoarded wealth below on earth but by giving charity i have hoarded merit above in heaven as it stated when truth will sprout from the earth charity will gaze down from heaven my fathers hoarded their wealth in an insecure place meaning in a treasure chest over here but i have hoarded my wealth in a secure place meaning in heaven as it stated charity and justice are your thrones foundation these are all verses from the torah this one was in uh, psalms 89 15. my father's hoarded something that does not produce fruits but i have hoarded something that does produce fruits as it stated say of the righteous man that it shall be good for they shall eat the fruit of their good my fathers hoarded stores of money and i have hoarded stores of souls meaning those people that whom i preserved through my gifts of uh, charity all the lives that i saved as it stated the fruit of the righteous is the tree of life and one who acquires souls is wise my fathers hoarded their wealth for others to use meaning all the work that they did all their life they hoarded hoarded hoarded, but they didn't get to use it i'm using it but i have hoarded the reward for my charitable deeds for myself as it stated and for you it shall be charity they kept all the money kept all the money eventually didn't use it me i used all the money for myself how by giving it to all the poor people my fathers hoarded wealth for this world and i have hoarded merits for the world to come as it stated and your charity shall go before you and the glory of god shall be your reward
Also from the Torah, book of Isaiah, chapter 58, verse 8. So here the Gemara shows of a wise, a wise king that understood not only the point of life, but how to use money in a powerful way and to transfer wealth in the most powerful and beneficial way during your life. Now, if I told you that there is one person that is literally perhaps the smartest person, if not ever, at the very least, the smartest businessman that lived at the very least in the last 150 years. But not because he acquired millions, which he did, but he is by far richer than any other businessman that has lived during that time frame. Why? There was an Indian, an Indian philanthropist, a Jew, by the name of Yosef Shalom. And he was from Calcutta, India. An Indian Jew. And he bought a uh, big land in a temple near the uh, Temple Mount, overlooking the Temple Mount in Israel. And he wanted to build a hospital there. Now he had the money, he had the connections, he had the land. But, because he's a Jew, he wants to have the blessing of a Torah. Now, how do you get the blessing of a Torah? You go to the Chachamim. And this is not a, uh, a uh, modern-day Israel. This is Israel over a hundred years ago. A time where everything is difficult. Everything is difficult. And you want to make sure that whatever you're going to do, you have the blessing. He goes to the Ben Ishchai. He says, Kvodarav, I see there's a lot of sickness, there's a lot of poverty, there's a lot of difficulty. Hashem Achem, there's certain parts that have so much poverty that some of the women became prostitutes. Hashem Ishmo. And this Yosef Shalom from India says to the Ben Ishchai, I want to build a hospital so to help build a community. When there's a hospital in the community, this is going to help the community. Perhaps more money will be brought here, more businesses, there's more safety, there's more health. And the Ben Ishchai says to him, all of the money that you're going to spend on the hospital, if you want to have a blessing, don't build a hospital. Build spiritual hospital what spiritual hospital build the yeshiva build a huge yeshiva a huge yeshiva instead of a hospital hospital is going to save lives people in danger sickness disease wars all types of problems yeah yeah sure sure that's going to happen with or without the hospital but if you want to really have the blessing build a huge yeshiva big place for torah and this Yosef Shalom was very smart. Why? He didn't go to some nobody rabbi. He went to the Gdolado, the Ben Ishchai. And he knew whatever the Ben Ishchai says, that's what Kadosh Baruch Hu wants. Simple. 
And that's what he did. And he built the yeshiva. Now a lot of people build yeshivas. A lot of people have built yeshivas, some small, some big. Some you have big buildings with no people. Some you have small buildings with lots of people. I remember when I went to Haunov to, to, uh, to my dear Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Fraim, I saw all these beautiful buildings and so on. I asked them all types of buildings. What's this? What's this? What's this? And then I saw one that was literally right across, but it was like over the hill. It's like a huge set of buildings, beautiful buildings, like something out of this world. Like it was like a little Bet Mikdash. I said, what's that? What are those? He said, oh, those are uh, buildings. Said, yeah, they're all buildings. I just asked you this, this, this. He said, this one is a hospital for crazy people. This one is a yeshiva. This one's a kola. This one's this. What's that? Because it's buildings. Said, they're all buildings. He goes, no, no. That's a yeshiva. That's a hospital. That's a this. That's buildings. So why is that buildings? Because because it's empty. So we all of those buildings, they're brand new. He goes, yeah, they're brand new and they cost tens of millions of dollars. So why are they empty? He says, because they don't have bracha. They don't have bracha. The guy that put it together doesn't have bracha. Empty. Nothing going on there. No success. Shem this Yosef Shalom from India goes to the Gdolador and says, I want to build a hospital, I want a bracha from the Rav. The Rav says, no, you go build the yeshiva. And not only did he do what the Ben Ishchai said to do, what the Torah said to do, but he received the blessing. But not just any blessing. He received the blessing that continues to reward him until this day that he's in Gan Eden, Highest level. Why? Who are his Talmidim? Who are his beneficiaries of this yeshiva? The beneficiaries of this yeshiva are Rav Tzion Abba Shaul, Rav Ovadia Yosef, Baruch Ben Chaim, Rav Eliyahu Ben Chaim, Sheikhyeh, Rav Mordechai Eliyahu, Rav Yitzchak Kaduri, Rav Tzion Levi, Rav Yudat Tzadka. Literally, some of the greatest sages that lived, in, not just in the last hundred years, ever. The current Rishon Tzion, Rabbi Tzchak Yosef, all learned in this yeshiva. But not just learned in this yeshiva, grew in this yeshiva. Some of them became the Roshe yeshiva of this yeshiva that was called Porat Yosef. Porat Yosef Yeshiva that until this day is by far one of the most, if not the most famous and successful Yeshivot in history. Now one of the other Talmidim, not just Talmidim, but a family of Talmidim that went to this Yeshiva, another giant Chacham that's also from the family of the Ben Ishchai and also from the family of Arav Yitzchak Kaduri, is Rav Yosef Chaim Zev. Rav Yosef Chaim Zev has the same name as the Ben Ishchai, named after the Ben Ishchai, was from the same, the same family. Rav Yosef Chaim Zev, Allah Shalom, was the uh, is the father of one of our very dear Rabbanim, very dear supporters and friends, Rav Zev, Rav Aaron Zev, that uh, did our chupa, did the Brit Milah for my kids. I just spoke to him uh, yesterday. 
And every time I spoke to him, I get chizuk for just simply, even if it's just a halo, you get a spiritual chizuk somehow. He's a mamash, a genius, a tzaddik, a very special person. Now, his father, him himself, Rav Aaron Zev, his brother, Rav Nisim Zev, the whole family went to Porat Yosef. But they didn't just attend Porat Yosef. Many people think, oh, you go to yeshiva, you learn, you become a rabbi, maybe become a butcher, maybe you become a chazan, maybe you do some chupan kiddushin. Okay, what do you really contribute to society? Why do you really contribute to society? Let me explain to you guys a few small things that this extraordinary family contributed. Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zev, him and his kids, they come, like I said, from the family of Rav Kaduri, of the Ben Ishchai. It's a dynasty of tzaddikim. Dynasty of tzaddikim. But not just tzaddikim, not just major Kabbalists, not just people that were extraordinary human beings in the Torah world, but in society altogether. Building society where in those days there was so much poverty that the women became prostitutes just so they could have some money to eat. That's how bad it was. In Yerushalayim, Rabbutai. In Yerushalayim, many people think, oh no, everybody was religious and therefore everybody was righteous. Not necessarily. There was driving on Shabbat in Yerushalayim at that time. There was prostitution everywhere. Because of the poverty, not because of uh, people having disgusting desires like today where they do it for free. Poverty, outright poverty. And this huge tzaddik, this giant chacham, Rav Yosef Chaim Zev saw this and knew there had to be something done. What did he do? Started a factory, an unneeded factory. To what? Come. You're about Israel? Come. Come with me. No, I'm working. No, you know, you work for me now. What? Come over here. Bring her. Bring this one. Bring that one. Bring all the prostitutes. Come. You don't need to work anymore for this. I have a new job for you. No, no, I make. Don't worry. Whatever you get paid, I'll pay you. Whatever more. I'll pay you more. What? Here. Put them into a factory. Give each one of them a sewing machine. Here you go. This is your job now. Does he need a sewing machine? Does he need them to sew anything? No. Doesn't need them to sew anything. But so, why? So you don't be a prostitute. You're about Israel. You're about Israel. He would save the people with his own dime, with his own blood, to make sure they don't sin. To make sure they do not go to desperate measures that they already went to. And he would literally clean the streets from prostitution and filth that was literally out of desperation and put them all in a place start sewing and it would make money in a respectable way in a respectable way what else he understood that there has to be a bedin he built the vad abavlim the, 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 the bedin of the bavlim that until this day has a call of 120 plus avrechim learning torah day and night they don't even go home avrechim they don't even go home they simply stay there learning non-stop they go visit their family for uh, Shabbat, and they go back and learn non-stop. Till this day, almost a hundred years later. What else? 
the amount of uh, uh, disease that's out there, the amount of problems that are out there, was not the only issue. One of the issues was that the medical world wasn't as advanced as it is today. So practically every woman that would give birth would need a blood transfusion. What do you do? He started the first blood bank in Eretz Yisrael that today became the central blood bank of all of, Eret, of, all of Eretz Yisrael, started by the Zayr family. A blood bank, the national blood bank, started by these tzaddikim. Why? There are people, they want to have kids, they're going to give birth. Why? Haram, that they're going to die because of blood. Okay, we have a blood bank. And also, it helps people make panasah. But what would happen? He would pay them a lot of money to give blood. You pay people a lot of money to help them financially and also to help the people stay alive. But the same, what ended up happening? People would start fighting, fist fighting, because they want to donate. But you tell them you can't donate every month. It's not healthy for you. You're going to kill yourself just to make some money. Remember, we're not, we're not, it's not for the money. It's for life. We're using money for life. And that's how you produce kids. Like Rav Awan Zev. Like Rav Anisim Zev. The Tzadikim. That did enormous things. Rav Awan Zev. It was a rabbi in Australia. In Colombia. In Uruguay. In, 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 in uh, uh, Brazil. Built an enormous community in Brazil. Did so much and in, in New York, in Mill Basin, now in Staten Island for the last uh, 10, 15 years. Enormous amount of Torah. I once, as you know, always ask him something and he always gives me the exact place, the exact time, the exact line of where it is in the Gemara. It was unbelievable. And one time I told him, you remember the entire Talmud by heart? It's unbelievable. He says, no, no, every day I forget a few pages. And his humility he didn't understand that in reality to us, what do you mean every day you forget? I wish I knew at that time. I wish I knew. And today I wish I knew one page by heart. One page by heart. No, every day I forget a few pages. The most humble person you could ever imagine. Mamash, Moshe Rabbeinu next to you and you won't even realize it. His brother, Rav Nisim Zev, was also is one of the tzaddikim with giant chacham, but didn't just stay in uh, learning in a kolal by himself. Follow the footstep of his, of his family, of the dynasty. Doing what? Started probably the biggest girls' seminary in Eretz Yisrael. Probably perhaps one of the biggest in the world. It's thousands of girls. Thousands of girls. A uh, girls' seminary that uh, called uh, Nevat Yisrael, Institute for Sephardic Girls. Huge girl seminary. And if that was not enough, just like his father, just like his grandfather, just like the whole family, they knew to, that the religious community is not going to be left alone to live their life. The Zionists have to interfere. They're trying to destroy. So what did they do? They started... The Shas, started by Rav Nisim Zev Shichye, started the Shas party, who was then led by Rav Vadi Yosef, but he was the head of it for almost 20 years, until uh, Aryeh Deri uh, took over, but uh, started the Shas party, the Shas religious party, which is the third uh, biggest political party in the uh, Israeli Congress, in Israeli government. Now, this all started by not just 
צדיקים, תלמידי חכמים. תלמידי חכמים, רבותיי, תלמידי חכמים, people that understood what is necessary. What is necessary. And all the money in the world can be in your fingertips and you can simply use it to build yourself another house, another cottage, another villa, another this, another that. Or you can build the community. You can build the Torah community with that money. You can build a dynasty with that money. A dynasty that will outlive you. A dynasty that will outlive all of us. Why? Because it will produce new tzaddikim. The businessman turned tzaddik that listened to the Ben Ishchai didn't understand perhaps and I don't think it's possible for him to understand what he was doing by listening to Da'at Torah. By listening to Da'at Torah and building the Porat Yosef Yeshiva I don't think in his wildest dreams did he think that he's going to have Rav Ezra Atiyah, Rav Rafael Shlomo Liniado, Rav Tzion Abba Shaul, Rav Ben Tzion Meir Chai, Uziel, all these Chachamim as his Roshay Yeshivot, Tamidim in the Yeshiva, Agdolei Ador. I don't think in his wildest dreams did he think it's possible, it's possible to have so many Gdolei Ador, not only under one umbrella, but under his umbrella, that will not only heal the people spiritually, but will actually bring healing to people physically by building the Torah world, building hospitals, building what Israel is today, removing all of the filth, all of the diseases, all of these things started by a smart businessman from India that knew that Da Torah is always right, even if it doesn't make sense to you, even if it costs you a lot of money, even if it conflicts with your reality, with your logic and your experience, when you listen to Da'at Torah, you simply do not lose. Not that you can't lose, you do not lose. Why? You fulfilled the Torah. You fulfilled the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Automatically, you've already won. From that second on, you've already won. Why? Because you followed the Torah by using the money that HaKadosh Baruch Hu blessed you with to do His will. What fruits will come out of it? Only HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows and maybe you'll have the merit to see during your lifetime. But surely you will see them after. And this Rabotai can only be done by somebody that understands that money is simply like a hammer. That's all it is. It's just a tool that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives you to build or you destroy your own Olam Abba. When a person understands these things, when a person understands that money is a tool that they can use to do a lot of good with it, when there's a campaign to go, like we want to do, for example, feed 10,000 people for Rosh Hashanah and the holidays. We already sent a bunch of money to get uh, things ready, 
Bezat Hashem will uh, start the uh, campaign soon to defeat people. When people come to you with an, with something like this, or you see something like this, you don't say, oh yeah, whatever, I'll give, you know, whatever, you know, whatever little change you have in your pocket. But it says, this is an opportunity for me. This is an opportunity for me. Yeah, what about buying an Aliyah at the Bet Knesset and uh, looking like a big show-off in front of everybody because you could afford to buy $20,000 worth of stuff? Yeah, you can do that too, but you have to, If you, the more Torah you understand, the more Torah you know, the more you realize which one is the right thing to do. Which one is the right thing to do? A person can say, listen, I'm going to go spend 50, 100, $200,000 even to go buy a Sefer Torah. Sure, you can do that. It's a mitzvah. Or you can take the same amount of money and fund kolel, avrechim, that are living Torah for a year, for, for two years, depending on how many people and how big the kolel is. Our kolel in Eretz Yisrael uh, only has a uh, half a dozen talmidim in it, all dayanim, serious people, that uh, Baruch Hashem, we pay them generously, but nonetheless, still nothing in comparison to what... Uh, 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 people think uh, the, the, uh, is, is necessary to live, but nonetheless, that kind of money could fund the kolah for a while. A few months, you have yourself people learning Torah day and night just for your sake. Or you could have a sefer Torah that someone's going to use, maybe, you know, once a week, twice a week, three times at best. When a person understands Torah, he understands where it's better to invest the money. He understands where better when a person doesn't understand Torah, he understands where he's going to get the most amount of recognition, most amount of kavod. And that's the problem. It's that the money is there to fund the Torah. The problem is it's going to the wrong places. It's going to the wrong places. And many times people expect to get a big blessing for the donations that they make and they end up being disappointed because they don't get the blessing. And they ask themselves, I don't understand. I donated X amount of money for this. I donated X amount of money for that. And uh, instead of blessing, I, uh, it seems like I get curses. Well, perhaps you sent it to the wrong places. Perhaps you invested in the wrong things. Instead of investing in helping Jews do tshuva, instead of helping people learn Torah, you invested in uh, advertising for yourself in the community because you donated in front of people or you donate to things that are really not needed. So, why do you think you should you deserve a blessing? Well, isn't it all Torah? Yeah, it's all Torah, but uh, there's also levels of necessity and priority. It's just like saying, you know, a, uh, looking at a wheel from a Lego set. And say, okay, use that for your uh, brand new truck. Well, I can't use that. Why, isn't it all wheels? No, but there's a wheel for a Lego set and there's a wheel for a truck. That you need to drive in real life. Ah, stop being so picky. Okay, so Hashem's going to say, okay, you stop being so picky too. You did something, he's going to give you a little Lego set. Blessing. Or you did the right thing and he's going to give you a crane and an entire entire uh, construction set of, of real tractors and, and forklifts of blessings. It all depends. It all depends, Rabutai. I've seen people that have made donations that are in the spare of the moment they just got the bug and they psh, donated a bunch of money and sometimes they got a blessing right away sometimes they didn't but then i saw other people that didn't necessarily make huge donations but they were consistent 
every week, every month, every couple of months, depending on their uh, life, they'll make the same donation on a regular basis or just simply a donation to the same place on a regular basis. And you see, without even asking, the donation continues to grow. Donation continues to grow without asking, without anything. And you already understand. Why is a donation growing? Because it's working. When he first started donating, he was donating $30 a month. Now it's 3000 What happened? I mean, the guy was barely... Because after four or five years of donating for Kiruv, the Baruch Hashem, the blessing started coming and the income started coming too. But then you have other people that will ask you for every favor under the sun, ask you to name their companies, ask you to name their kids, ask you to bless every single person in their family because they want to donate $150 one time in a blue moon. And then they're disappointed that uh, you're not really uh, taking their calls. The reality is, Rabotai, is people need to understand. If you're going to invest as much into the Torah as you do into your business, for sure the business will be blessed. But if you invest everything into the business and only randomly into the Torah, then randomly you'll get blessing and randomly you'll get uh, curses. Why? Because Akadosh Baruch is the one that's running the random. Because <laughs> there is no random. He just says, eh, sometimes I'll give you this, sometimes I'll give you that. Why? Because you're not consistent. Therefore, the blessing is not consistent. Because you don't understand the value of money and what the purpose of it is, and you're transferring all of the wealth that I'm giving you into the places that you deem fit, rather than the places that I tell you is fit, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu does what he does. And it's so clear. It's so clear when a person has bracha in their money. It's simply as clear as day. You see who has the blessing in their money and who doesn't. Without asking any questions, without knowing anything about their life, you simply see who has the blessing in their money. And it's those people that don't ask for anything. They're literally, they don't ask for much. What they do is they're consistent and they're investors. Why? Because they know what they're doing is for themselves. That donation is for themselves. It's not for anybody else. It's not for the rabbi. It's not for the, for, for the community. It's not for the synagogue. It, it's for themselves. They're investing for their own ulamaba. This is exactly what helps people in the Torah world. Leave the shtendel, leave the gemara, leave the dayanut, leave everything and go build things because they know they're doing chesed for themselves. They're doing kindness for themselves. They're not doing anybody else a favor. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants all of those people to eat, He doesn't need Be'ezrat Hashem to feed them. If He wants all of the people to learn Torah, He doesn't need your own Reuven to teach them. Hashem doesn't need anything. He has an infinite amount of tools that He can use. But when we go and we do whatever we can to entice people to get closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that's us saying to Hashem, pick me, pick me. I want to be a teacher. I want to help people come to you. I want to spread your name everywhere. Pick me, Abba, pick me, pick me. I love you. Please, please pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me, me, me. Okay, this hand, pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a rabbi. I, they want to call me, call me whatever you want. Just, I want to do it. Just, I want to do it. When a person says, I'm going to go feed 25,000 people. 
Yeah, but last year was 10,000. And this year, 25,000. Next year, it'd be 50,000. And Bezat Hashem, 100,000 and a million. And eventually, everybody. Kadosh Baruch needs it? No. But what are we saying? Pick me. I want to do it. I want to do it. Abba, I want to do it. Pick me. Pick me. Pick me. Pick me. I'll make, I'll make the website. That's all I can do. And I can talk about it in a lecture. And uh, I can say, pick me. Pick me. Pick me. I want to do it. Ah, I'll be annoying. I want to do it. I want to do it. Ridiculous? Let it be ridiculous. But that's the goal. That's the goal, Rabbi. Get Hashem to pick us. To be the vessel that He uses to do His will. Because He'll do it anyway. But we want Him to pick us. Who wants to do it? The one that understands what the Torah says is the purpose of life. Who doesn't want to do it? The person that invests all the blessings that Hashem gives them into acquiring things that they cannot even use forever. Be'ezat Hashem, we will understand this forever. And we'll teach this forever. For us, for our kids, for our students, for our friends, for our family, to always understand that HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't need us, but we want Him to use us, to do His will. Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen Amen. אז אני משקיע פה בעולם השלטון, בפלורידה. אנחנו שם עכשיו הולכים להקים קהילה ספרדית גדולה.